Welcome to the Analysis.News podcast. I'm your guest host, Greg Wilpert. On Thursday, February 4th, President Joe Biden announced that the United States will withdraw its support for Saudi Arabia's war in Yemen. The announcement comes five years after the Obama administration began supporting the effort, which was continued throughout the Trump administration. The war in Yemen, led by Saudi Arabia in coalition with eight other Arab states, represents the world's most serious humanitarian crisis, according to the United Nations. So far, the war has caused 233,000 deaths, most of them from indirect causes such as lack of access to food, health services, and infrastructure. 24 million Yemenis depend on food assistance. The U.S. supported the effort by support, supplying Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates with tens of billions of dollars in advanced weaponry, mid-air refueling capacity, and bomb targeting. The outgoing Trump administration made the situation even worse when it declared the government in Yemen to be a foreign terrorist organization, a declaration that took effect only one day before Biden's inauguration. I conducted the following interview with Hassan El-Tayyab a few days before the Biden administration announced with the withdrawal of U.S. support for the war effort. Even though the announcement will significantly change the course of the war, I believe that the issues we discuss in this interview, such as the sanctions, the foreign terrorist organization de uh, designation, and the importance of a new War Powers Act resolution, are still valid. Hassan is the Legislative Manager for Middle East Policy at the Friends Committee on National Legislation, which has been spearheading the effort for Congress to invoke a War Powers Act resolution with regard to the U.S. support for the war in Yemen. Thanks for joining me, Hassan. Thanks so much for having me, Greg. So before we get into the latest developments, uh, let's go over what's brought us here so far. That is with regard to the war in Yemen. Briefly, what's the U.S. involvement been like and what has Congress done and how did all of this get started? Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, it's a really um, it's a really horrible thing that's going on in Yemen right now. It's the world's worst humanitarian crisis on the planet and what the U.N. considers the world's place in the world to be a child. Uh, this started uh, in 2011 when the Arab Spring took, you know, spread all over the Middle East, including Yemen, and um, the people nonviolently ousted the then president slash dictator, uh, President Saleh. And Saleh, you know, was allowed to stay in Yemen and move around freely, and they appointed um, a Hadi to be the interim president as they moved to a more representative form of government. Uh, there's, you know, it's kind of complex. There was corruption charges. There was still, you know, a lot of poverty. Um, and the the Houthis rose up and ousted uh, President Hadi with the help of the former President Saleh. And then Hadi fled to Riyadh, asked for military support, and thus the Saudi coalition was formed. And uh, the U.S. said that they would supply weapons uh, you, uh, military support, hardware, spare parts, transfers, targeting assistance, logistical support for Saudi airstrikes. And the war began in March 2015 with U.S. backing. Um, the uh, Saudi Arabia put a full air, land, and sea blockade around the entire country. Uh, there were airstrikes on civilian uh, you know, civilian targets, hospitals, weddings, schools, funerals. 
and you know tens of thousands of people have been killed you know innocent people that have been killed in Houthi held territory and beyond um, and uh, the blockade has just really slowly starved the entire population and now you know after six years of fighting uh, there's 16 million people on the brink of famine, 3 million cases of cholera. Uh, COVID-19 is wreaking havoc on the country. And again, this is all being done with U.S. military support. Um, there have been several, several efforts to stop U.S. participation in the war. Um, and, you know, they were spearheaded in the Senate in 2018 by Senator Sanders. Uh, we were able to get one of those, you know, the first Yemen War Powers resolution was able to pass, SJ Res 54. Um, and that, you know, that made some progress on the ground in Yemen with, you know, with regards to the Hodeida ceasefire. And it, it helped uh, usher in a ceasefire in Yemen's largest port. Congress forced more votes. They passed in bicameral, bipartisan majorities, SJ Res 7 in April 2019. Trump ultimately vetoed that bill. Um, and the U.S. support for the war continued. There were also, uh, you know, emergency weapon sales in 2019 that uh, Trump was trying to push through to support Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates in their, you know, you know, munitions and, uh, you know, just hardware that they need to keep the war going. And Congress had a hold in them, but Trump invoked these emergency powers and was able to push through. Uh, you know, billions in weapon sales. And unfortunately, the the war just has continued and raged on. Um, like you said, uh, Pompeo, you know, to make matters even worse, you know, during this global pandemic where the administration has kept military support for the war going and even cut off humanitarian funding to large parts of Yemen where the Houthi, uh, Houthi-controlled territory where 80% of the population lives, uh, they put in place this FTO or foreign terrorist organization designation, and it's it's deeply problematic. One, there's no real justification. I mean, this isn't just a small group. This is a you know a a movement in Yemen that has basically you know captured territory and you know occupying territory that controls uh, you know, humanitarian aid to millions and millions of people, over 20 million people live in these, live in these areas. And the FTO designation uh, as the Trump administration is outgoing, everything was so chaotic as we, as we can recall with January 6th, you know, and they tried to make life as complicated for the incoming Biden administration as possible. And one of those really, you know, terrible, complicated things that they did uh, was in imposing this FTO designation, which basically would cut off any humanitarian's ability to do transactions in Yemen uh, or face legal penalty or, you know, financial or prison. Um, and so that's deeply troubling. Also, it would put any UN negotiators at risk for even talking to the, the Houthi leadership and trying to broker a ceasefire deal, which we all know is absolutely critical. And last but not least, I just think it's pretty ironic that Saudi Arabia and the UAE, who are actually transferring U.S.-made weapons to groups like Al Qaeda, Arabian Peninsula, um, they, you know, there's no question of of whether or not they should be labeled, but we're going to label the Houthis. So I think again, this is just making a complex situation even more complex. There's been almost u unanimous. Uh, 
consent that this is a bad idea among humanitarians and among diplomats at the UN, former career civil servants, and even bipartisan members of Congress have said, this is just a terrible idea and needs to be reversed. Forgive me, I know I'm <laughs> going on here, but uh, one thing I will mention is that the Biden administration, they did something pretty important at the beginning of you know, right at the beginning of their administration, and they put a pause on sanctions on the Houthis. Um, and so that's promising as they, you know, as they go to review whether or not they're going to lift the designation or not. Um, and they said they would pause it for 30 days. Unfortunately, the UN is still claiming that um, despite the pause in sanctions, fi financiers and humanitarians are, are still feeling like it's a risk to do to do their important work and to get aid to so many people in Yemen because you know if you have to do you know ramp up a lot of humanitarian aid delivery if you don't know if you're going to be penalized for that in a month's time uh, that really restricts your ability to, to make plans and and really you know makes you rethink doing humanitarian trade in Yemen so absolutely we need to end support for the war and weapon sales for the war and lift this FTO designation among many other things we need to do. But what about uh, the uh, claim that uh, I guess both the Trump administration have been made and and in other occasions have been made that that uh, the sanctions, which also includes the FTO designation, makes exceptions for uh, food and medical deliveries, basically for humanitarian aid? Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. Uh, but the problem is there are already so many risks to doing business in Yemen or to doing any transactions in Yemen because of the violence, because of the blockade. UN approved ships get stopped in Hodeidah Harbor by the Saudi blockade and are unable to even get in. Um, and oftentimes we've seen food and, you know, food rot in these ships as they're waiting to get offloaded. And, you know, if you've got millions of people living on the brink of famine and 50,000 people, according to the UN, actually living in a famine, um, you know, that's that makes it a lot more challenging and more difficult. So if you add in the blockade, uh, if you add that to the FTO designation and the fact that, you know, people can't plan ahead, it makes it really difficult to do humanitarian aid work. And that's exactly why we need to lift this terrible, disastrous FTO designation immediately. Hmm. Now, uh, Biden and also his uh, newly minted Secretary of State, Antony Blinton, have on various occasions actually expressed their opposition to U.S. support for uh, Saudi Arabia in this war. Now, uh, Biden has passed something like 40 executive orders since taking office almost two weeks ago. And uh, but Yemen hasn't been among them, except for perhaps what you said earlier about this uh, review, but uh, or this hold on uh, on, uh, on sanctions. But uh, what can uh, in total? I mean, you mentioned already, of course, the FTO designation. But what else can Biden do right now uh, to to stop the U.S. support uh, for this effort uh, for this war in Yemen? Okay, great question. That's that's the uh, that's the most important question we have so far, right? Um, what have they done and what can they do? Uh, they did put the put a pause on the sanctions for 30 days. That was good. They need to lift the FTO designation. Uh, the second thing is they actually put a freeze on new weapon sales to Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, which is a good start. I mean that we didn't have a freeze during the Trump Trump years, so um, it's it's good that that that's in place. That said. They haven't actually blocked delivery or said, no, we're not going to be, you know, you know, 
selling any more weapons to Saudi Arabia and the UAE. So we definitely need that. We also need them to end support for the war, to sign an executive order um, and say that we're no longer going to be doing targeting assistance for coalition airstrikes. We're not going to be doing any logistical support. We're not going to be doing intel sharing. Uh, we're not going to be doing you know, spare parts transfers for all the hardware that goes into keeping these warplanes in the air. Um, another thing that we need to do is lift the suspension on humanitarian aid, not just lift the suspension, but, uh, you know, because the Trump administration, they, they cut all sorts of funding to the UN, WHO, WFP, um, and, and, you know, 75% of Yemen's humanitarian aid work essentially got cut by, by the administration. Um, and, and they also uh, suspended $73 million of USAID funding in March. Uh, of 2020, so we need to, you know, end the suspension and get aid to aid going to all parts of Yemen. But we also need to expand humanitarian aid and pressure other parties in the international community to expand their aid using diplomacy. Um, and Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, they have, uh, you know, the UAE. It's worth noting they they pledged nothing last year and gave nothing, even though they are a main contributor of the violence in Yemen. So. Those are all really important things. And I also think we need to get the administration to call on Saudi Arabia to end the blockade because that is uh, a massive killer in Yemen, cutting off the flow of food, fuel, medicine, clean water, humanitarian assistance, vaccines, you name it. We need to end the blockade. Um, one thing I did think it would, it's important to mention is that the administration has a role to play, but Congress also has a role to play. And and like you said at the top of the segment, um, we're su we're supporting and supportive of uh, doing another Yemen war powers resolution and getting Biden to sign it. So uh, Representative Ro Khanna has has made it pretty clear that he intends to introduce another Yemen war powers resolution, and he says that Senator Sanders. Um, is considering supporting as well. So everything we can do in the grassroots is to get these members to introduce these war powers resolutions, make sure that the Congress is on board, and, and force a vote and, be, and have Biden be the first president in, in U.S. history since the original passage of the 1973 War Powers Act, um, have him be the first president to sign a war powers into law. Why do you think uh, it would be so important, let's say, if he does act, to still have this war uh, powers resolution to pass and have him sign it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I get that question a lot. People are like, well, we should just let Biden do his thing. You know, it's, it's going to, you know, it's early on. He's already done all these executive orders. Um, you know, let's just give him the opportunity to do it. And I think one, we have to remember, we lived through four years of a rogue executive with no respect for Article 1 powers or the or the congress at all i mean as far as as far as from my vantage point here in washington dc didn't seem like the president really cared that bipartisan bicameral majorities a lot of people in his own party said that the war in yemen should end and you know article one section eight of the constitution says that only congress can declare war and so the war was never authorized congress with majorities in both chambers said they wanted to end it couldn't do it if we get Biden to sign this into law, it'll be the first time that this has happened. and It'll establish a really important constitutional precedent that war powers resolutions are, in fact, you know, the law of the land. They're constitution constitutionally supported by the executive. So that's one. Um, the next thing is that 
executive orders can be torn up by another president, you know, and we want to make sure that no president can just start U.S. military support for another Saudi intervention or UAE intervention in Yemen. And I mean, that's critical. We, we just don't know what's going to happen in four years and we don't know how the Yemen war is going to play out. So we have to get this into law and not just be an executive order that can be torn up. Last but not least, uh, U.N. Special Envoy to Yemen, Martin Griffiths, um, he's trying to negotiate a, a ceasefire in Yemen. And I think having Biden with bipartisan majorities in Congress backing him up on that um, and saying, you know, that's that's leverage that Martin Griffiths can use in negotiations with Saudi Arabia and the UAE and the Houthis and the STC and the Hadi government uh, to finally get a ceasefire deal. And I think, uh, you know, having that having that signed into law and not just be an executive order is uh, going to give us a lot of leverage to draw down the violence. Hmm. Well, that was actually going to be my next question, uh, okay. which is that, I mean, if the U.S. were to end its support for the Yemen war, what would it mean actually for Saudi Arabia's effort uh, to continue? That And uh, you already basically answered that, but I'm just wondering if you could say a little bit more about that. I mean, what would be the next step? A ceasefire? Would the, would they actually agree to that, uh, do you think? And, uh, and then, of course, uh, beyond that, what does that mean for Yemen? So I think you bring up a good point, and I... I I think it is important to mention that, you know, if the U.S. ends our military participation in the war, it's going to be very difficult for the Saudi-led coalition to keep airstrikes going. I mean, if we end some of the participation and not all of it, that's a different story. But if we absolutely cut off, you know, all the things I mentioned, the, the targeting assistance, the spare parts transfers that actually keep the warplanes in the air like every time an f-15 or an f-16 lands the tires almost have to be replaced every time and you can't just go to walmart to get these things you know you can you have to go to uh u.s contractors and you know without those that flow of spare parts it's going to be really difficult and you, it's not like china can just or china or russia can just swoop in and completely replace all this u.s hardware in a short short period of time so saudi arabia is kind of stuck with u.s hardware for a while we have a lot of leverage here so one i think it's going to grind the airstrikes to a halt i think it's going to be really difficult for them to keep the blockade going and put them in a position where i think they're more likely to agree to a peace process uh, and, and a negotiated settlement that's ultimately needed and um, you know, stop using this moral authority that the United States is essentially giving the coalition to to wreak havoc on school children and mm. and innocent civilians all over Yemen who are starving to death. And so, yeah, we've we've got yeah, we've got a lot of leverage and cutting off military support, I think, is, you know, one of many things we need to do to end this conflict. OK, well, before we conclude, I just want to ask one more question that goes a little bit beyond the issue of Yemen specifically. That is, you know, the U.S. has in recent years really perfected the use of sanctions as a way of conducting war without uh, a declaration of war and without actually dropping any bombs, but still killing tens of thousands of civilians in several different countries. I mean, uh, there's something like two dozen countries that are currently being sanctioned by the U.S. to varying degrees, and some of them uh, in very extremely. I mean, Yemen, of course, is one of the worst examples, but there are certainly others such as Venezuela and Iran at the moment. Now, Representative Ilhan Omar of Minnesota has recognized the danger that 
such unilateral presidential power represents and has introduced a bill to basically uh, require a kind of war powers resolution uh, to enforce uh, or to impose uh, sanctions uh, that is with the approval of only with that it would only happen with the approval of Congress. What do you think of that proposal? And what else do you think needs to be done on a legislative level uh, to deal with uh, the president's or the executive's uh, ability to wage war? Um, yeah, and, and lift sanctions and, and impose sanctions. It, it, this is such a big issue. Sanctions are basically a, another form of warfare and are killing millions, uh, you know, or I shouldn't say killing millions, but um, impacting and creating a human humanitarian crisis for millions of people all over the planet. And, um, you know, you'd look at Iran. They, they don't have access to PPE, testing kits, respirators, sanitizer in the way that they should. And Iranian nurses are, right now are dying at higher rates than other healthcare professionals around the world. And it's really resulting in the spread of COVID-19. And, and everybody knows that COVID-19 anywhere is a threat to everybody everywhere because, you know, it's not, you know, the, the virus can spread, the virus can mutate. So we really have to think, think about sanctions in a whole new way, especially during this global pandemic. Um, now, Ilhan, Rep, Representative Ilhan Omar's bill, I think, is a really good step in the right direction because it requires Congress to basically, uh, you know, approve of new sanctions. And so the executive branch, the burden of proof would be on the executive branch in to say why this is important for us to do for our national security. And, and it really creates this other step uh, for Congress to have oversight over the executive branch. And I think that's just really important. Um, there, there are lots of things we can do. A, a lot of them, unfortunately, has to, has to happen at the executive level. Uh, you know, things like, uh, you know, organizations like OFAC, or the Treasury, Commerce, you know, they, they, they've just made this policy of putting sanctions, you know, allowing sanctions in all these countries uh, for questionable gains and foreign policy gains. So I think Ilhan Omar's is exactly the right direction. I also think we need an emergency general license that's worldwide that covers every sanctioned country and location on Earth to allow any coronavirus-related uh, support to healthcare professionals around the world, including the vaccine, PPE, testing kits, respirators, sanitizer. So that's that's bottom line. We should really consider lifting sanctions, you know, economic sanctions during this pandemic, just to make sure that you know countries like Iran and Venezuela and Cuba have the resources they need. Uh, to purchase all of this really important equipment and so that more and more people don't fall into poverty. Um, another thing that I think that I've started to discuss with people on the Hill is the idea of also flipping the script, not just on sanctions, but on FTO designations, because right now... Foreign terrorist we, organization. Yeah, foreign. yeah exactly. <laughs> A foreign terrorist organization. I'm an alphabet soup over here, right? <laughs> um, and... And what that right now, the executive branch, the State Department can just say, well, see that group, we're going to label them a terrorist organization. Congress has literally seven calendar days to pass a resolution in the House, pass it in the Senate, get it to the president's desk. <laughs> that the president, because it came from their administration, would most likely veto that resolution. It would come back and then they would need uh, a a two-thirds majority, 67 votes in the Senate to be able to beat that override. 
which is kind of impossible. And if you think about the, you know, what this FTO designation could mean uh, to humanitarian aid operations in Yemen, uh, in this Houthi-held territory, it, it's devastating. I mean, the UN thinks that this could plunge five million people into famine. Wow. I mean, that kind of power is is it's just you know one executive branch you know can make that decision unilaterally. That's really troubling. So. I was thinking it, it, it might be good to also flip the script on FTO designations and require, uh, you know, a longer period for Congress to review before it comes into effect, you know, at least 30 to maybe 90 days, um, and also require a congressional approval to have uh, an FTO come into, you know, come into being and, and put the burden of proof on the executive branch. So that's another policy solution among, among many that we need. Hmm. Well, sounds good. Well, we've covered a lot. I think we're going to leave it there. Um, I was speaking to Hassan El-Tayyab, Legislative Manager for Middle East Policy at the Friends Committee on National Legislation. Thanks again, Hassan, for having joined me today. Thank you so much, Greg. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in to the analysis.news. If you like programs such as this one, please visit our website and make a donation to the analysis so we can keep doing this.